We were learning Shila Ma'alot and we saw how Yaakov Avinu was constantly building his emunah. So we gave some examples last week of how a person takes some time to constantly build his emunah in Hashem. Today, I'd like to give you a few examples of how a person could build his emunah in the Torah. We have in the Torah in many, many situations where you see the halchmah of the Torah, you see the wisdom of the Torah. Sometimes it takes years to realize the halchmah that you once saw and didn't, you didn't understand how much the Torah meant and how much it did for you even though when you originally were doing something you may not have realized it I told you once before for example the side benefits of mitzvot <coughs> the side benefits of Shabbat is just an example we know Shabbat is a beautiful day of rest Torah says it's a day of oneg, a day of pleasure but we really see that Shabbat has many, many more benefits that we weren't even aware of. Shabbat brings our families together. Shabbat gives us the ability to disconnect from the world and focus on ourselves. Shabbat brings our community together. Shabbat gives us opportunity to learn when during the week Maybe we're busy and running Shabbat. How many people started learning because of Shabbat? They went to a class on Shabbat. They heard Musar on Shabbat. From Shabbat, all of a sudden, it extended to the week and to their lives. That's why we call Shabbat Mekor Abiracha. Mekor Abiracha means it's the source of Birachot. Both physically and spiritually. It's so much more that we don't know. So much more that we don't know. As I'll tell us that the, the blessings that come to a person in his life come from Shabbat. In business, in many other areas. So Shabbat is an example of a mitzvah that Hashem gives us. When you look at it, you see laws and rules. And all of a sudden... If you're, if you're living it the right way, you fast forward a few years and you look back and you say, Wow, the Hachmah of Shabbat, the amazing advantage of Shabbat. But there are certain things that you could see the Hachmah of the Torah, not only the Hachmah, you could see the godliness in the Torah immediately. You don't have to wait years, you don't have to wait months. Immediately you could see the Creator talking to you in the Torah. We have a very famous Rashi. By the end of Sefer Vayikra, the Pasuk says, Vaydaber Adonai El Moshe. Thank you. 
Behar Sinai Lemor. We've seen that Pasuk many times in the Torah. Ba'idaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor. But here, Ba'idaber Adonai El Moshe Behar Sinai Lemor. Hashem spoke to Moshe in Har Sinai. So Rashi asked the obvious question. Behar Sinai. The parasha in Behar is talking about the mitzvah of Shemitah. That's the beginning of the parasha. Shemitah, as you know, is when the farmer, all of Eretz Israel goes on a sabbatical on the seventh year. No planting, no working the field, things that grow, everybody could take from them. Every seven years, the land of Israel stays without work. That's what the Torah expects of us. So says that she, why, by the mitzvah of Shemitah, are we mentioning Har Sinai? All the time that we see, why all of a sudden, in Parashat Behar, towards the end of Sefer Vayikra. Now you're telling me, Behar Sinai, at least if you want to say it, say it one time in the beginning. And that's it. Why are you waiting to Parashat Behar? That's Rashi's question. So says Rashi, Ela, Ma Shemitah, Ne'emru, Kelaloteha, Upratoteha, Vedigdukeha, Mesinai, just like Torah wants to give us an example. Just like Shemitah, all of its rules, all of its small details were given in Sinai. Af kulad ne'emru. All the mitzvot were given the same way. Which means, Rashi is telling you, it's not really a complete answer, in a minute I'll tell you why. But Rashi is saying, listen, the Torah is not going to tell you every time, Behar Sinai, Behar Sinai. That's the way the Torah talks to us. It talks to intelligent people. If Hashem told you one time, so you know, to use that rule, it's called binyan av. Torah builds a principle. From that principle, you go and use it every time. Doesn't have to say every time, Behar Sinai. Says it one time, Behar Sinai. Now you know the rule. Just like Shemitah. And all of its details were given in Har Sinai. So to every mitzvah in the Torah was given in Har Sinai. Beautiful. I say it's incomplete because, okay, now we know why it says Be'ar Sinai. To teach us about all the mitzvot. But why did it choose the mitzvah of Shemitah to be the rule for all the mitzvot? Hashem could have done it the first time he said Be'edaber. He could have chosen any other mitzvah to share this principle, this rule. Why is Shemitah the one that Hashem chose as the mitzvah that I'm going to teach everybody about when I say Vaydaber Hashem el Moshe lemor? It means Har Sinai. Where am I going to teach them that? By Shemitah. Why was Shemitah chosen 
as the example for all the other mitzvot. So again, Rashi explains to us what Behar Sinai means, what we're supposed to learn from it. But we're asking another question, why did Hashem choose Shemitah as the example? I saw once beautifully that this mitzvah of Shemitah is not just the representative that when Hashem says, it's not just that. This mitzvah is a clear demonstration of Hashem giving the mitzvah and Har Sinai. This Mitzvah clearly proves that the mitzvot can only come from Har Sinai. That these mitzvot cannot be the product of a human who put together these mitzvot. You look at Shemitah, you see Har Sinai in Shemitah. You read it, you realize, wow, this could only be given in Har Sinai. Why? Because telling a country of people, millions of people, to stop farming for a year, especially Eretz Israel, that has all enemies surrounding it, not only now, our whole history, we had enemies always around us. And now you're telling the people in the country, for one year, there's no agriculture. So where are they going to eat? How is that going to work? It's basically asking a country to stop. In fact, the Torah addresses this question. I mean, this question is such a big question. Usually the Torah doesn't address questions that we have. For example, it says, don't eat hametz on Pesach. Get rid of all hametz. Torah doesn't ask, oh, and by the way, if you have a problem with that, if it's hard for you, Torah doesn't address questions like that. It's assumed that when there's a mitzvah, you're able to do it and everything is fine. No matter how difficult the mitzvah is, no matter how difficult the ta'avat, the desire is, Torah says you can't do that. Are you having a hard time with it? Very hard for you not to look with your eyes? Torah says, Lotaturu, don't look with. Don't watch your eyes. Don't look around everything. Make sure you look around and you're careful to what you look at. Ah, but you know, it's not so easy to do that. To watch your eyes is very hard. Torah doesn't address it. Watch your eyes. You could do it. It's assumed you could do it. I don't have to tell you that. But in this mitzvah, out of the ordinary, the Torah says, Look what it says. And if you say, Here, Torah is representing us like a lawyer, representing his client. Here, the Torah is representing every single one of us. Today we can't appreciate it as much. We think today that food comes from the supermarkets. So it's very hard to understand 
why there will be any problem with this. So, take off seven years. What do we get? You don't have any connection to agriculture. You have to remember in those days, there were no refrigeration. There were no freezers. There were no... Uh, they weren't making products by, you know, in factories. They, everything was through directly. They're eating from the ground, literally. Hand to mouth. Hand to mouth. Ground to hand to mouth. That's the way it was. Most people, this is up to 100 years ago, by the way. Up to 100 years ago, most people in the world, I believe it was like 90% of people, lived near farms. How'd they eat? They didn't have trucks going from from uh, hundreds of miles. The world changed dramatically. So it's very hard for us today to imagine what the problem would be if a country stopped growing things for a year. But it's a very big deal, especially in those times. Anyway, this question is such a big question. Torah comes and says, And if you ask, what does that mean? No farming. So what are we going to eat? That's like telling us to starve. What does that mean? Hen, you say we can't plant. As you know, the wheat, all the grains, they need to plant. You plant it year after year. It's not like a tree that grows on its own. So you're telling us we don't plant. We can't gather the crop. What he, so telling us to do this is the equal of telling the country to starve every seven years. And by the way, just for extra, you know, extra kicks on the 50th year, you have two years in a row. Double. Double. 49, which is the seventh year. And then the 50th year, two years in a row, no work, no nothing. Hashem says... Hashem says, I will send Beracha on the sixth year. And it will make enough grain and it will last. The sixth year will produce enough for three years. Usually, usually you plant, you get for one year. This one you need it for the sixth year. You need for the seventh year. And you also need for part of the eighth year. Because the eighth year till you plan, when you actually get, it's going to take a while. So you're going to need three years worth of crops from what usually is done in one year. Now, you have to be insane as a human to write this halakha. You have to be out of your mind, you know, to give prophecies about what will happen in Le'atid Lavo. Anybody could do that. Because, you know, the Hazal tell us, if a person wants to lie, what does he do? He talks about something far away. I'll tell you in 10,000 years from now. Okay, fine. What, what, what? There's nothing to argue about. But here, you're giving the Torah to the people they're about to enter the land of Israel <laughs> how long is it going to take before they find out you, that you're a fraud seven years Mike seven this religion has the lifespan of seven years 
Because after the seventh year, when they all starve and people are dying, yes? yes. You ever see the pictures in those in countries where they have no food? In Africa, seven years, they all starve. And then whoever said this, they take it and put it in the garbage and it's over. You have to be out of your mind to make such a statement. Something that happens every seven years to guarantee it. So why does the Torah use Shemitah as the example that the Torah was given on Har Sinai? Because in the mitzvah itself, you could see Har Sinai. Because this mitzvah shows clear that a human could not say this on his own. No human who writes a Torah would go out on such a daring limb to say that this is going to happen. That's why Shemitah Behar Sinai. Now in truth, we see this type of daring attitude in the Torah in a number of places. Besides the Chokhmah of the Torah, and you see the Chokhmah of the Torah in everything that you do, but sometimes you see daring statements. When you see a daring statement, it's given to us so we can sit here and strengthen ourselves. One of the most daring statements in the Torah is the Torah's accounting of animals in the world. The Torah says, as you know, that in order for an animal to be kosher, it must have two signs. It has to have hooks, mean its feet have to be split, not one piece. And it has to chew its cud, which basically means it chews the food, comes down to its stomach, and then comes back again and chews it again. That is two signs necessary for a kosher animal. If you have two, kosher. If you have zero, not kosher. If you have one out of two, not kosher. Simple halakha. Now, comes the Torah and says that the entire world has either two or none. And you have to imagine Moshe Rabbeinu coming down from Har Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu lived where? Somewhere in the Middle East. He didn't see America. He didn't see Australia. He didn't see New Zealand. He didn't go visit the Far East. He wasn't in Antarctica. He wasn't in South America. Didn't go to Panama. Moshe Rabbeinu was in Midian, in the area in the Middle East. Wasn't in Africa. Didn't go to the jungles. Didn't see the safaris. Hey, I'm very confident about that. Okay. He comes down and he says to Am Yisrael, the most amazing prediction. He says, Rabotai, in the entire world, every animal has either two or none, except four. There's only four animals in the entire world that have one 
and not the other. From those, there is the Hazir. Bird of the Hazir. The Hazir says the Torah. Look at this. Look at this unbelievable prediction. You got to be out of your mind to make this prediction. The Hazir says the Torah is the only animal in the world. The only one that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cut. The only one. The other three have back the camel, the shafan, the gamal. They have, they, they, they chew their cut, but their feet are not split. But the Hazir is the only one in the entire world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cut. That's what the Torah says. That means if anyone comes today and shows us an animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cut and it's not a Hazir, so then you could take the Torah and you could dispose of it. Because that I admit. What a prediction. You know how many animals have been found since the time of Moshe Rabbeinu? Species, all kinds. There's still animals they're finding. Millions and millions of types. And Torah says, not one. And there's only four. And the Hazir is unique. By the way, that's why the Hazir is viewed as the most not kosher, even though really, if you look at him, he's actually more kosher than the rest of the animal. He's actually more kosher. You have many Jews, like Law Alenu, unfortunately, they eat not kosher, but they tell you, but not Hazir. Hazir, I don't eat pork. Hazir, I don't eat. Meanwhile, Hazir is more kosher. Hazir is better. More kosher than any other animal. Lobster is worse than Hazir. It's a fully not kosher. Any, or any, any animals that they eat, whatever kind of meat they come up with. But the Hazir took on the image of not kosher, even though it's one and one. They explain because the Hazir is a faker. Plus all the other animals, if they're not kosher, they say, here, yeah, we're not kosher. But the Hazir, when you look at him from the outside, he looks kosher. He says, here, look at my nose, I'm very kosher. And inside, he is not kosher. So what makes the Hazir even worse? He is the representative of the ultimate not kosher. Because he's a faker. Follow? So therefore, now we understand why people say, no, Hazir, I will never eat. That's too much already. Anyway, that's an example of a daring statement that Moshe Rabbeinu made. Another example. This one actually is Halakha said. The one before is just information. But this one is Halakha said. The Torah says that every fish, in order to be kosher, has to have scales on its, on its body and has to have fins. Fins. If it's missing one of the two, not kosher. Scales and fins. Any fish missing scales or fins is not kosher. Comes the Mishnah in Masechet Nida. 
Now it is Torah Shabal Peh. Not Torah Shabachtav. This is the oral Torah. Comes the Mishnah in Masechet Nida and says, Halakha Lemaaset. Listen to this Halakha. You could use it today. Kol Sheyesh Lo Kaskeset. Let's say you have a fish. Take it out from somebody has a live fish or even a dead fish. Take it out from the water. And someone cut it off. It cut off the body. But you see there are scales. You don't know if there are fins. It was cut off. You don't know what happened to that piece. So you can't tell if it had fins. But you see clearly the body of the fish has scales. Good. Says the Mishnah Masechet Nida. Kol sheyesh lo kaskeset. Any fish that has scales, yes, lo senapir, has fins. You can eat it. You have to look for the fins. They're there. Be'esh. But there is. Sheyesh lo senapir. There is a fish that has fins and doesn't have scales. So if you see fins, that doesn't guarantee you any are. But if it's, but, but, if you see scales, you know you have fins. Ah, Phil asked, so why did the Torah tell me two signs? Just tell me the signs of the scales. And then I know. Why do you have to say scales and fins? Answer is, So we could sit here today and talk about this daring statement. Imagine, the Torah says, there isn't in the world a fish that has scales without fins. You know how many, you know how many fish there are in the world? Imagine how, you know how deep the oceans are. You know how big the oceans are? You know how many fish are discovered constantly? If you come here and you show a fish that has scales and no fins, you're taking the Torah and the mud. What a statement. Imagine how said. Torah says, you take a fish out of the water. You don't see fins. You see scales and has fins. Guaranteed. Because there's no fish in the world that has scales and no fins. That's called daring. It's a daring statement. Torah makes another daring statement. Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Devarim makes an awesome prediction. You and I both know how many religions have developed in the world. If you count, there's thousands, thousands and thousands of religions. There are, yes, thousands, thousands. But there are some, you know the major ones. You know... Islam, you know, uh, you know, Christianity, you know, the ones in the Far East. But there are many, many, there are thousands of religions. Now, open up all the newer religions. You'll find they copied all the principles of the Torah. Dietary laws. That's in the Torah. What, what, what you could eat, what you can't eat. Dipping in the mikveh, going in the water. And many, many laws, many principles between man and man, and many different things that if you open it up, you'll see it's a replica of the Torah. Says Moshe Rabbeinu in Sefer Devarim, I will go out on the limb and guarantee you something will never happen. Imagine this. There will be something that never happens. Guaranteed. Never gonna happen. What's that? 
Moshe Rabbeinu gets up and says, you know the experience you had on Har Sinai? Where you have an entire nation. The beginning of a religion is the most important part of a religion. Because everything is based on the beginning. So if the beginning started with one person who had a dream, so you understand that the, the, already in the beginning, it's already, it's weak. If a guy was in the desert and comes back with a book, so you understand that who could prove, disprove what, what kind of uh, religion starts with such a weak, in such a weak manner. The stronger the religion is at the front, from the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the beginning, that's what the religion is. Right? I told you one, I told you somebody that. One time I had a young man who was a little bit off in his emunah. So he didn't understand the difference between, since there are millions and then there are billions of them. Right? So I told him, if you're walking on a line, if you walk, so excuse me, walking down the street, and you get to, a, to an end, and you can only go right and left. It says there are signs. Right, oh sorry, one arrow says Gainam. One arrow says Gan Eden. One says destruction immediately. One says paradise. I said, which one would you go? Obviously paradise. But the signs are on the floor. And you can't tell which was which. So I said, where do you go? I told him. He didn't know. I said, listen, I'll wait there as much as possible. And keep seeing where people come to this intersection. Where do they go? If you see all the people go right, or most of them go right, you go right. That's what I would do. He says, good idea. I thought, what would happen if a million people in three days went right? Right? And a thousand went left. Where would you go? So he told me, I know it's a trick question. <laughs> but uh, I would go right. I thought it was not a trick question. It's a very simple question. I said, it all depends how the people are walking. I said, if the million people were all with blindfolds on and have no idea where they're going, and there's only one guy in the front who's able to see where he's going, and he's leading all of them, right? And the, the thousand people, even a hundred people, each one came on his own, looked, and made a left. I said, the numbers are no longer a million to one. It's one. It's a hundred to one. Uh, excuse me, not a million to a thousand. It's a thousand to one. Because all those people are clearly saying, I don't have going. Following him. Only following him. The numbers are very deceiving. Therefore, the numbers of the beginning of a religion is the most important part. If, you, if your religion started with one guy who said something, so basically you're saying, okay, I believe him. Even a billion people are only equal to one in that scenario. The only nation in the world that their religion began as a nation. Nobody had to tell us what happened to them in a dream or what they saw somewhere in the desert. The only nation in the world, the only religion in the world that claims they had a national revelation. The religion began with every member of the living people in that religion. Everybody was there. Was Har Sinai. Only by Am Yisrael. By the way, the other religions also agree to it. Har Sinai is recognized by the other religions as well. Clear. Har Sinai is the way to give the Torah to a nation. Everyone has to be there. This way you don't have to rely on anybody. 
You see with your own eyes. Says the Rambam. Our eyes saw. He says, don't think we believe Moshe Rabbeinu because he did miracles. He says, that's not a reason to believe somebody. We saw on Har Sinai, we were there. Every single Jew living at the time. That's the way to give a religion. Nobody has to come to you and tell you, by the way, believe me because I saw something. Why should I believe you? People lie all the time. Now, new religions come. New religions come. Hazako Baruch, they want to start. Right? What's the first, if they're copying already, what's the first thing that they should copy? That their religion was also revealed to all nations. That is the most critical link in the whole religion is where you started. So they made up laws, they copied everything in the Torah. But the most important thing to copy is the beginnings of the religion. Because that's the credibility of the religion. But who are you? Where'd you come from? Who says that you have religion? Oh, comes Moshe Rabbeinu. Unbelievable. This prediction is unbelievable. Comes Moshe Rabbeinu and says the following prediction. Ki she'alna. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, you could ask. Le'yamim rishonim. Go and study history. Go from the beginning of time. Asher ayu lefanecha. From when? How far back should I go? Lemin hayom asher bara Elohim Adam al Go back from Adam Arishon. Ul ashamayim ad ashamayim. Me, whenever you're reading this, whoever you are, me and you, go back to Adam Arishon till where you are. And where? Which area on earth? Will mixea shamai from one end of the heavens at ketsea shamai until the other end. Prediction. Hanihiya kadavara gadolazet. Has there ever been a national revelation? Or, not only never happened, or hanishma kamohu. Did anyone even claim it? Hashama'am has a nation ever claimed that they heard call Elohim, the sound of God, Medaber Mitochaesh Kasher Shamata Atan. Any nation claim that they got their religion together from God. Says the Torah. Not only it will never happen, not only it'll never happen, that's easy. Will never happen is easy. Never. Nobody will ever claim it. Could you imagine? That means if some nation today claims a national, they make up a national revelation. You took this. Hey, this broke it. No one ever claimed it. And it is the most important piece to copy. You're copying dietary laws. You're copying. What? This is the most important piece. This is the link that you need to make your religion be legitimate. How could you not copy this one? Says Moshe Rabbeinu, guaranteed, they will, nobody will ever copy it. Nobody will ever make shikling. That's a very daring statement. You see the emet of the Torah. You see Har Sinai in the Torah. But I have a good day.